Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's How Do We Fix It with Richard and Jim. The argument for funding pure science and real science, Neil deGrasse Tyson. There is no information technology without an understanding of quantum physics. The creation, storage, and retrieval of information accounts by some measures for as much as a third of the world's GDP. And if you were around back then saying, I will not fund this research because it has no known practical application, we would still be listening to furniture-sized I'd, furniture-sized radios in your living room. So you've said that the greatest scientific question is whether we are alone in the universe. The SETI Institute, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, has been scanning the heavens in various ways from various telescopes for more than a couple of decades. So far, nothing. Are you starting to worry nobody's out there? They could have intelligence, but not yet technology. Were you looking when their civilization was technologically able to send a signal? How many aliens sent radio signals past Earth during the Roman Empire, where there was no radio? They didn't have have to go that far back during the Civil War. Nobody had any radio receivers. We barely knew about radio waves at all. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do do we we fix fix it? it? How do we fix it? Okay, Jim, more of Neil deGrasse Tyson, a guy who had plenty to say. This is just one of my favorite interviews we've done, Richard. We recorded this at the Museum of Natural History. This is the second installment of our two-part encounter with one of the great public scientists of our day. Yeah, and if you've just stumbled on this latest episode, you might want to go back and listen first to episode 102, which is the first part of the Neil deGrasse Tyson interview we did. And after we talked about the payoffs in the space program, Jim, you asked him about this argument for investing in pure science. And Neil's new book is called Astrophysics for People in a Hurry. So often the benefits also of pure science has enormous benefits that are completely different from what people set out to do. You mentioned the example of all the imaging equipment in hospitals, you know, um, CAT scans and MRIs and everything else. Those didn't come out from people trying to invent new ways to image the human body. Where did they come from? Physicists trying to advance the frontier of physics who had no interest in medicine. And so clearly a corporation is not going to pay for your research because 
the R&D ROI horizon, the return on that investment, who knows when it is, if ever. So corporations are not going to do it. So if anybody's going to do it, it's going to have to be governments. The government needs foresight. They need foresight to say, I don't know how, when, and where this research will return on this investment, but the history of this exercise says that it most assuredly will. So let us proceed. So I can have a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, a 20-year plan, a 50-year plan. And an example I use is the 1920s and the discovery of quantum physics. As obscure a topic as you can ever invent. The nature of the atom. At a time when I don't care about atoms, I can't even see atoms. Show me an atom. I can't. Well, how do you know they exist? Well, they do these other things. That, that here's a consequence of an atom existing, even though I can't show you the atom. Why are you spending my hard-earned tax money on this? Do something practical. It would take 40 years, 50 years, before we would see the rise of information technology. There is no information technology without an understanding of quantum physics. The creation, storage, and retrieval of information accounts by some measures for as much as a third of the world's GDP. And if you were around back then saying, I will not fund this research, we would still be listening to furniture-sized radios in your living room, okay? Perish the thought. <laughs> Although your voice would sound good on a furniture side. Oh, thank you, thank you. No, but we still improved on that as well. Yeah. So you said our understanding does improve. So my question is, a lot of the anti-scientific thinking in our culture doesn't just come from political motivations or religious motivations. You also see it kind of in, you've argued against some new age type ideas I'm often driven a little nuts by people think say that traditional Chinese medicine is somehow automatically better than Western medicine. And I say, well, aren't, isn't that the same medicine that has people taking powdered rhino horns and killing endangered Siberian yes. uh, tigers for their bones? Yes. So what do we say to people who think somehow things people were more intuitive, smarter, more in touch with knowledge in the past than we are today? They're missing a part of a curriculum that would teach them what science is and how and why it works. It's that simple. And because that is missing, that's a missing bit, this susceptibility to cherry-picking what you think is science in ways that serve your cultural, religious, political philosophies. Um, Again, in a free country, do whatever you want, think what you want. But if you rise to power, believing that this philosophy you've carried with you is an objective truth, you're mistaken. And what's curious to me is you have the liberal community claiming the high road scientifically against the science deniers of the right with regard to global warming and, and evolution in the classrooms, this sort of thing, as though they're somehow untainted by non-scientific thinking. But there's a whole portfolio of science denying that also happens in the liberal left. So in this list that I will provide for you, the only way you can embrace items on this list is if you are in denial of mainstream science. 
okay, in denial of some aspects, not all, but some aspects of mainstream science. And that includes alternative medicine. It includes vaccine denial, GMO denial, crystal healing, so much of what comes to us from New Age thinking with regard to our health involves rejection of mainstream science. So you cannot come to me with that portfolio and claim high ground and say, those science-denying people on the right, those fools, you cannot make that claim. And so both sides of that aisle need an adjustment to what they understand science to be if we are to move forward as a country in ways that legislation is based on objective truths and not on a truth that comes out of dogma or whatever is your political, cultural, or religious philosophy. We're smiling broadly. Wow, great. That is, that's, that's exactly <laughs> what you. I wanted to hear. So I want to ask you a question. What's that? About what was the best question you've been asked I don't you, you've met so many extraordinary people, okay, I, and I'm I, sure they've asked you I don't for your opinion on I don't think things. about that way. Okay. I don't think about what's a good question. I think about what question has the best answer. We're speaking with Neil deGrasse Tyson at the American Museum of Natural History. This is how- There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How do we fix it? So you've said that the greatest scientific question is whether we are alone in the universe. The SETI Institute, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, has been scanning the heavens in various ways from various telescopes for more than a couple of decades. So far, nothing. Are you starting to worry nobody's out there? No. I will bring to you uh, a actually carefully calculated analogy, even though it sounds like it's off the cuff, uh, brought to you by Jill Tarter, who is a member of the SETI Institute, where she said, let's say you're looking for whales in the ocean. So you go to the ocean shore, and you're there in the surf, and you take a cup, an empty cup, you dip it into the water and hold it up. So, oh, no whales in the ocean. <laughs> Well, have you looked everywhere? I've looked enough places. This ought to give me a good sample. That's about how much of the galaxy we have searched. Wow. Relative to the size of the galaxy. And we're not talking about volume here because you're also searching in other, in what we call a parameter space. So were you looking when they were sending a signal? 
Now, were you looking when their civilization was technologically able to send a signal? They could have intelligence, but not yet technology. How many aliens sent radio signals past Earth during the Roman Empire, where there was no radio? They didn't have, you don't have to go that far back. During the Civil War, nobody had any radio receivers. We barely knew about radio waves at all. You have to match frequency. Suppose you're listening in 1,400 uh, kilohertz, uh, megahertz, and they're communicating in 1,300 megahertz. The signals go right by, and you don't even know you're speaking to one another. And the, so, so much we don't know. <laughs> so much we don't know. Does it, does it, some people would say, that's depressing. Well, others might say it fills you with awe and I wonder. would say it's, it's one of the greatest drivers of religion. Religion has answers for people. Mm-hmm. This is where you came from. This is where you're going in life and in death. And so there are people, and that can bring comfort. Uh, so that could be, so this emotion that you just expressed could be a central driver for the prevalence of religion across cultures and across time on earth. The people hankering for answers. You can't be a scientist and have discomfort with not knowing. You have to cultivate the opposite emotion. When there is a frontier that is unexplored, where there's stupefying depths of ignorance, it excites you. It gets you jumping out of bed in the morning and running to the lab. So when you read a journalist headline that says, this new discovery may send scientists back to the drawing board, excuse me, we're always at the drawing board. That sentence implies we're sitting on an office chair, legs up on the desk, (laughs) basking in our mastery of knowledge. No. The greatest place to stand as a research scientist is right at the precipice between what is known and unknown in this universe. But something we need to remember, and that is that as the area of your knowledge grows, so too does the perimeter of your ignorance. And that is a cosmic perspective. I want to circle back for a second to, uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll drop this and that's a great How many ender. endings can I give you? I know, that's so good. <laughs> I, <laughs> How many endings? I know, no, okay. but see, we got, we, we've, got the, uh, we've got the ability to submit it. So I have, a, I have a question for you that comes from my kind of a conundrum I've been thinking about. But here we are, in a universe that's about 14.5 billion years old, and, or about 14 billion years old, our own Earth is about, about 4.5 billion years old. Everybody always talks about how ancient, how, how this, this string of history seems almost infinite. Isn't it really also something you could look at as being a very short amount of time? I, I, I'm trying to think of what you mean. So, so let, well, me, let me give you some information. And if it affects the question you asked, then re-ask the question, okay? Yeah, we're four and a half billion years old. Earth could not have been born 10 billion years ago because the ingredients that comprise Earth were not yet manufactured in the cores of stars. So the universe had to go through multiple cycles of high-mass stars, which is the only kind of star that'll do this, manufacture heavy elements, the elements we're made of, as well as, and more, right on down to uranium, 
you need multiple generations of that so there's enough of this enrichment in a galaxy so that the next gen the nth generation of stars made out of the gas cloud has enough stuffing to form a system of planets in orbit around it right so when i first heard that and learned about that you know that cycle of star creation i assumed that there have been hundreds and hundreds of such cycles. You know, I mean, after all, the universe is so old. So when it began to sink in that... No, there have been. So, but... but so, uh, so let's quantify this. You ready? Right. So these stars... The, the larger stars go through that cycle much quicker. Yes. The stars that make these elements and die explosively in what we call supernova, those stars live a million years? Just to be clear, professionally... We speak of first-generation stars, second-generation stars. That's because it's easier that way, but it's not really that. Stars are being born all the time. We discover hundreds of supernova every year, hundreds, not in our galaxy but around the universe. It's a, it's a continuous thing. And yet there are still so many mysteries. I mean, you talk about this in, in the book in a really – um, kind of a humble way. There's so much we don't know yet. There, there's the mystery of dark matter. How much is there? There's the mystery of the expansion of the universe. The acceleration that, of the universe, yes, yeah. But that continues indefinitely. And the greatest mystery is whether we're alone in the universe. My question is, do you think these questions will be answered in your lifetime? So I'm going to give you a cop-out answer. Um, I don't think of the great questions as the ultimate goal of what's driving me in this life. I think about the questions we do not yet know to ask because they will only rise up after we've gotten through the questions that sit before us, enabling us to stand in a new place and say, oh, that's what I don't understand. I didn't even know to pose that question. You want to talk about ignorance. True ignorance is not being unable to answer the question you knew how to pose. True ignorance is not even knowing what question to ask. And those are the questions that keep me awake at night. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Thank you very much. Did we get through all those notes? No. 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 <laughs> so, Jim, the most controversial parts of our conversation with Neil deGrasse Tyson were uh, man spaceflight, his, his passionate argument in favor of that, and then also his argument against um, phony science. So let's first talk about manned spaceflight because I thought, and this was in the first part of our interview, that, that Neil gave the best argument I've ever heard for investing a lot more money in manned spaceflight. Well, well, what do you think? His whole mission is to encourage people to capture the wonder and the excitement of science. And so his point that nothing does that like manned spaceflight, I think is a really good one. And it's an interesting point for a scientist to make because many scientists would argue, as long as you're spending this money, you're going to get a lot more good science out of sending unmanned probes 
all over the solar system. Uh, it, it's insanely more expensive to send people into space than but, to send robots. But there's the romance exactly. of space. So he's arguing against a position a lot of his fellow scientists might make. Obviously, I think we need both. And I think that, that a reasonable investment in space is good. We'll do another segment on why NASA's spending priorities are completely yeah, I was, screwed I, up. I was going to say, uh-huh. this, is, this doesn't just mean spending more government dollars on space on NASA. It also means uh, SpaceX, which is making real progress. A privately funded company, Elon right. Musk, with these grand and kind of great visions for what but, could happen but in the also future. rockets that actually work at a fraction of the cost of what nasa's doing so um that'll be another show but it's an important topic going forward now let's go on to the other controversial element and here i may disagree with you it's on a- anti-science and his pushback against alternative forms of medicine for example and other forms of of science that that are promoted by by some progressives i wouldn't really call them liberals so this i think is such an important perspective you know neil degrasse tyson is a classic enlightenment what used to be called an enlightenment liberal someone who believes in human freedom and rationality and in a rigorous approach to knowing what's true that doesn't come from dogma doesn't come from religion doesn't come from your political orientation has nothing to do with what country you're from facts are facts and he made such an articulate statement of that And it's important today because that whole Enlightenment worldview is under attack. And we often hear about the attacks that come from the right, you know, the the climate change deniers. Yeah, but the the first and biggest attacks came from the right and still come from the right. The most serious attacks come from the right. Okay, I'm going to say something that's going to be hard to believe. Um, I actually think that the most sustained attack on science is coming from the academic left. And this is the, the postmodern uh, Marxist critique of Western knowledge as a whole. Foucault, Derrida, Lacan, all these people that you, if you went to college in the 80s or 90s, uh, or more recently, it had a huge impact on the way we see the formation of knowledge, that everything's culturally determined, that everything is determined by power, by race, by gender, that there's no such thing as actual facts or a truth that you can reach out to. It's all part of some kind of power structure. That's an idea that's affected even people who never heard of Foucault or Lacan. And and it has filtered through the academy, and I think it's having a very pernicious... So let me just finish up, because this is a, a roundabout way of making this point. A climate change denier denies certain results of science. He doesn't say that science itself is a joke and doesn't work. Okay, I've but, got, I've but, got, to, uh, I've got but, to come in on yeah, this. Okay. okay, Here's where I quarrel with you. I, I, I agree that critics of en- Enlightenment liberalism are a threat. I'm with you on that. I just don't think they're as big a threat as people who deny climate change, who are now in power in state and federal legislatures, in power in the White House, and also people who want to change the curriculum that our kids are learning. That's much more fundamental than what you are talking about. Well, so we're talking about different... I mean, when you talk about uh, fundamentalists who don't believe in evolution, who screw up education, obviously that's a huge problem. Yeah, uh, it is a huge there's problem. There's no question. But... Um, but I don't think – I think trying to figure out which, is, which side is worse is falling into that trap. What's important is we should celebrate real rationality, real science. It's something that Neil does with so much grace and you know, with so much passion. And before we end this, also a sense of wonder 
I love him saying that a cosmic view of life is a little humility or more than a little humility. And, you know, and, and right. also this idea that the search for intelligent life in the universe, we haven't really started it yet. Yeah, and, we, and that was It's like a teacup, and, taking and a teacup down to the ocean looking for whales. I, I, I find that really, really intriguing. I'm not so sure we want to find the intelligent life. We should be careful what you wish for. But what's so great about his understanding of the scientific method is it's always about testing to see what you don't know. It's testing to see the errors in your viewpoint. I think we could use more of that, not just in our science, but in our politics, in our public policy, everywhere. It's too much conviction that you absolutely have the answers is a problem. It's a problem on the right. It's a problem on the left. And I think if anything people can learn from science, even if they're not scientists, it's have more humility about maybe what you don't know or the limits of your knowledge. Yeah, ask, ask questions before you think you have answers. This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. I'm Jim Meggs. And we managed to end without coming to, coming to blows. Coming to blows afterwards, <laughs> once the mics are off. No, I think we pretty much agree on most of this. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer, who gets us to ask even better questions than we would have thought of ourselves. And That's not hard. <laughs> and uh, the music's by Lou Stravinsky. We're produced by Davies Content. We make digital audio for companies and nonprofits. Check us out at DaviesContent.com if you want to get involved in podcasting. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for listening.